absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of Leave the Pin In Podcast. I'm Dan, and this is my buddy, the greatest Canadian that has ever lived, eh? Scott! Scotto, what's the good word, eh? Hey, uh, I like funny bacon and maple, maple syrup and lots of hockey. Lots of hockey. Gretzky. Uh, I'm not Canadian. What? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not Canadian. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of from upstate New York. That's but. about as close to Canada as we're going to get. Um, Scott, so we just finished up the Canadian National Open Championship. And your winner, drumroll... Rory McIlroy. A thousand miles Rory. north and a week earlier than he needs to win. Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy went off this weekend. All right, now tell me this. Did you... Did you have a feeling? First off, is this coming out of nowhere? Rory coming out of nowhere? Uh, yes, because I I don't feel like he was playing golf that would be indicative of someone who was going to win a national championship. All right, now even if look. It is, even if it is Canada's national championship. Right, but see, that's how crazy golf is, Scott. Rory won the Players' Championship. Rory at Bethpage played his last 52 holes in relation to par better than Brooks Kepka did. So True. Rory was in form, but it's just so nuts with how much golf is out there nowadays and how many players you have to keep track of. In my mind... Rory came out of nowhere. He wasn't playing well. He comes out and wins. And then I go look back at some of the facts, and I'm going, geez, like, Rory won the probably third biggest tournament to be played so far this year. Rory outplayed the eventual PGA Championship. Remember, if it wasn't for Brooks's first day at Bethpage, that Thursday where he went nuts, mm-hmm. then, then DJ wins it. Correct. Um, but Rory played lights out out this weekend and I I for one when when I see Rory hitting his irons and his wedges well that's when I know you've got Rory like full tilt like he's on and ready to go because you know he's got that swing which suits his driver perfectly but mm-hmm. a lot of times he'll pull wedges um, you know, Miss Greens with, with pitching wedge nine iron in his hand. That's always kind of been his Achilles heel. So when the wedges and irons are going off and it sets up these short putts and he doesn't have to rely on his putting, then, I mean, you know, find someone that can beat him, I dare you. Uh, there's maybe maybe Kepka when both of them are on. Right, when he's at his, yeah. But yeah, what, that's probably, right. probably going to be, it's going to be a really short list. I thought a ultimate statement was made by him that first hole of the day on Sunday, he goes off and bombs a 370-yard-plus drive down the middle. I mean, golf is not a game where you are usually intimidated by who you play with, right? 
Right. You, you, you play the course, you play the conditions. I'm telling you what, Scotto, if I am a pro athlete, even, even being a pro athlete, and I'm two or three away from the lead, and Rory has the lead, and he goes and pipes one almost 400 yards down the middle in the first hole. I'm like, all right, guys, it was it, it was cool. Give me my consolation check. I got to get to the U.S. Open. Yeah, uh, and that's pretty much I think the way it played out. It was okay. Yeah, Rory's on. We're not winning. Let's just get out of here. Yeah, Dan from Train on Main texted me and says, "Are you are you watching this?" And I was outside grilling. Um, and so I was, you know, I was watching it on uh, on Hulu, watching it on my laptop as I was grilling. And he said, dude, he's going to run away with this. I said, hey, he's going to go low. And he said, he might shoot 59. I said, 59? I said, dude, he might shoot 58. And then made a few bogeys coming in to shoot 61. But, I mean, come on. Who would not take that score at a national open, even if it is Canada's? Eh? Hey. Hey. Uh, yeah, I mean... I'd take 61 any day unless, you know, Jim Furyk's going like 58. Yeah, or you saw the uh, the mini tour guy shoot 57 the other day. I didn't see that, actually. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Hey, uh, real quick before we move on with the Canadian Open, I want to thank our fans from Canada. I don't know if you check the numbers, Scott, as often or as frequently as I do, but in Canada, we have listeners in the following... I, I apologize, but I assume cities, if not provinces, um, in Toronto, Ajax, Oshawa, Brockville, Brampton, and Tweed within Ontario. Yeah, th- those are all cities. Okay. So, and Ontario would be the province. Right. All right, well, there you go. And we, we greatly thank our Canadian fans, A eh? Scott, you ever been yeah, to Canada? Uh- uh, I have been to Canada. I've been to uh, to Niagara Falls. Um, my my, you know, really good friend Mike went to school in Buffalo. So you know, Canada is just a a hop, skip, and a jump away. I was at Niagara Falls, but on the American side, um, not on the Canadian side, because uh, well, that's where we were. But when I was in middle school, high school, one of those. And I was in course, Scott, as you know. And yes. we did you guys sing the national anthem at an expo game? Okay, so that let me let me date ourselves for the people out there. The Montreal mm. Expos were a baseball team. Okay? Many people that are listening to this podcast have no idea what we're talking about, but they were a major league baseball team. Kind of like the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, they were the, you know, kind of the the real eastern Canadian baseball team. So yeah, we drove up and we got chosen to sing the national anthem at a Montreal Expos game against the New York Mets. Now, the New York Mets play baseball very close to where Scott and I grew up. So it was kind of neat, you know, dichotomy to 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 have that and we sang it in English and we sang it in French. Uh, I didn't know you spoke French. Uh we Parlez-vous <laughs> uh, français? That's pretty uh, I, much it. I still remember like the opening lines in French. You know, actually, I remember it in French more than I remember it in English. 
Yeah, well, because in English, it just sort of blends in at this point. Like, you're yeah. still used to it. You don't think about it. Right. But the right. French, like, you had to think about. So. Yeah. But we sang, we sang the Canadian national anthem in English and in French, and then we sang, obviously, our national anthem. But it was very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Montreal Expo was played in a dome. It was that old turf that was, like, rock hard, and the ball would bounce like crazy. Um, like, basically green-painted concrete. Oh, my God, yeah, without a doubt. And I, I clearly remember um, calling my dad that night because somebody, I can't remember who, hit a ground rule double. And it literally was like nothing more than a line drive. And it just bounced over the outfielder's head over the fence. Yep. And obviously nowadays that's, that's over and done with. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool time in history. Uh, Scott, the, the Canadian Open, that's the third oldest continuously running tournament on tour open championship first u.s open second coming up this week at pebble and then the canadian open i mean uh this is a tournament that's got some pedigree it does and if you go back and you look at the history of it like arnold palmer's won it nicholas has won it tigers won it so all the all the all the greats have done it so nicholas has actually never won it could have sworn I saw him on there, but maybe not. Jack, maybe Ni- was a, Jack Nicholas maybe always maybe says... Maybe a couple runners up. Yeah, probably. Well, he had a ton in his career. But he always said, he goes, the Canadian Open is the one that's always eluded me, as if it was on par with the U.S. or the Open Championship. Um, you know, I never heard until this year, and I think because Tiger's playing well again, the, the uh, pundits, if you will, talk about the Triple Crown, which is the U.S., Canadian, and Open Championships. And he was the last one to win it. Lee Trevino won that as well. But it got me thinking, Scott, if, if we've got countries' national opens, uh, what about the Puerto Rico Open? I guess Puerto Rico because it's kind of part of the U.S. Mm. That one doesn't count. Okay. But what about the, the, w, the WGC Mexico? Yep. But it's not the Mexican National Open. Mm, truth, truth. So I, I, I would, I would love a National Open Rota series where they go to just different countries. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the months of uh, July and well, now because we have the the FedEx Cup playoffs now, which are a joke. But how cool would it be if July and August, those eight weeks, they went to a different country each week to play the National Open? Yeah, that would be amazing. The problem is guys wouldn't play in all of them. Right, right. You know, um, our buddy Mike Creed, who caddies on the Web.com tour, his his uh, loop, Ryan Yip, got entrance into the Canadian Open because he is Canadian, and there's there was something where if you're ranked so-and-so in the world and you're Canadian, you automatically get one of, like, 20 spots or something along those lines. And so he was in, and then most people saw on our Instagram story, we posted an inside view of the locker room. Now, I'm not going to say how we got or obtained that footage, but it was pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's just a locker room, but then when you think about it, it's like, okay, well... Whose clubs are those? Oh, those are Bubba's clubs. And whose shoes are those? Oh, they're Dustin Johnson. Like, what? Oh, oh well, you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a neat little uh, behind-the-scenes inside look 
at Life on Tour, you know, and how these guys kind of live out of a suitcase all the time. Um, and you saw the suitcases too. So. Yeah, you did. You did. Now, I don't want to talk too much about it because everyone rips on the USGA, right? And, and you and I, I think, have mended fences with the USGA as of late. It's now the PGA Tour, which, um, you know, is, uh, is, is your evil, vile um, the PGA counterpart. Tour social media, yeah. True, true. Not the players themselves. Um, nah, they're cool. So the USGA obviously has that story uh, in Golf Digest. John Huggins and Brian Wacker do it, and basically these tour pros remain anonymous, which I'm not too happy with. They go off and, and basically just rip the USGA and say they've destroyed the U.S. Open for all these years. Phil goes out and says that the USGA literally cannot run a tournament, and the only governor put on the tournaments is if it rains because they do not know how to handle it. Uh, give me your thoughts on that, Scott, and then tell me why the LPGA players don't complain about their U.S. Women's Open. The Canadian National Open does not have these types of problems. What is it with these U.S. and international tour pros that play on the PGA Tour that make them just bitch and complain so much about the USGA? Uh, was this the, the PGA Tour confident, or the U.S. Open confidential? Correct. Okay, so, yeah. So, first of all, it's not everyone, because there was definitely a couple people who were saying, yeah, I played with two top-ranked Americans, and all they did was complain the whole time. And that's Bryson. And, we know that's Bryson, because that's what he did last year, nonstop. And Phil. Right. Right. Um, so, there's that. Um why don't the LPGA players complain? Because they're not a bunch of entitled whiners. Um, they're out there, and they know that they have to play hard, and that's how they need to go about their business. So there's that. Um, and as far as why this is not a problem at other tournaments, I think one of the things that was really telling in that article, they said most other majors rely on the PGA Tour guys who set up the course. The USGA doesn't care what they have to say, and they just do their thing, and it's a bunch of like amateurs setting up courses for pros. Doesn't part of you want that at times, though? Like I revel in the fact that once a year, these tour pros are... I don't want to say made to look stupid. People will always say that, but they're not because everyone's playing the same course. But they're made to look more like you and I. I can empathize with a tour pro much more during U.S. Open week than any of the other 51 weeks out of the year. Right. So I, I think it, it boils down to two things. One is that they want the course to react the way they expect the course to react great, whatever. It doesn't. One week a year, it's the U.S. Open. Deal with it. And I think that they might be able to deal with it if they felt that their input was being taken seriously. But because they don't feel that way, then their response is to be a bunch of little children and complain about it. Okay, so, it's, so go ahead. It's like, my, it's like my six-year-old daughter, right? Uh, let's say, you know, we leave She's at yoga right now. Let's say we leave yoga, and I say, what do you want for dinner? And she says, ice cream. 
And I say, do you know why you can't have ice cream for dinner? And she says, yeah, it's not really that healthy. All right, so we're not going for ice cream, right? However, if I just say no and that leave it at that, then she's going to get mad because then she feels like I don't really want to, you know, explain to her why ice cream is a bad idea for dinner. And she's going to whine like a six-year-old. Golf is a metaphor for life, right? Totally. Most people would say that. I think it's what makes the game so beautiful. Is one day you own it, the next day it's off the rails. You hit a great shot, followed by a, a poor putt. Um, the rub of the green. Sometimes you're stuck behind a tree and things don't work out the way that you want. But that's life. You keep grinding. You keep moving forward. You, you don't stop. You keep practicing. You keep trying to get better for that one day, that one round, that one shot where things just come together and it's like the most beautiful feeling in the world, right? I feel like these tour pros are so coddled within their life, they don't understand the grind of everyday life. And then when that time comes around to put their nose to the grindstone and actually kind of dig in and suck it up and maybe have to do something difficult, they being so coddled, just come out and go, you know what? This is awful. I hate this. It's the worst thing ever. And it's it's mob mentality. One guy says it, the next guy says it. Oh, it's cool to bash on them? I'll bash on them too. Rory said that if the USGA doesn't get it right this week, then that might be well, it might lead to bigger problems in the future, indicating that he might boycott because rumors have spread that he was one of the ones a few years ago along with DJ that might boycott mm-hmm. the event. So here's well, – go ahead. Go ahead. And then you had Phil with the, the crazy, you know, hitting a putt ball that was still moving. Um, and that's a guy who's really popular, who has the respect of the players because he's Phil and who's someone who has a you know a, a a a very very big voice in the game he's doing that and now everyone's like well if Phil's doing it it must be a problem yeah but but Phil's a different entity Phil's like your drunk uncle you know like uh, you you love Phil to death but Phil comes over and you know you're going to hear the same jokes he's going to make the same crude remarks He's going to break something. Like, it's the same thing at every family dinner. You know what I mean? I, I see, but I don't know that that's the case because I think those, like, the, like, Ryder Cup guys, the ones that are around, are very much, they look at Phil not as much crazy drunk uncle, but as that, like, really cool big brother. Yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could see that, but... I think at times you also need to blaze your own path and not always follow what, you know, Big Brother's oh, I, doing. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. I'm just saying that's where their mentality's at. So, so here's, here's, here's the thing then. All these guys are complaining. All these guys are like, hey, I'm not going to play in it. Okay, you're telling me you're not going to play at a chance for over $2 million? Okay, first off, that's stupid. You're not going to prove a point. Golf is going to go on without you, right? Golf, golf happened before Jack happened. And guess what? Golf was still happening in between Jack and Tiger. And guess what? Golf's going to continue on after Tiger as well. So the game is bigger than everybody. Um, if I'm a player 
and I'm a, a middle-of-the-road guy, hell, even if I'm the number one player in the world, I hear Rory and DJ and Brooks maybe say I'm not going to play. I'm like, hey, guys, that's awesome. Hang out at home this week. Do what you got to do. I appreciate that. It's three more top-tier talents I don't have to beat this week. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you think some of those guys that are out there trying to you know, qualify in don't want, you know, or wouldn't be thrilled if Rory and DJ and Phil stayed home because that's three more spots that they're going to get in when they're out there grinding and maybe they missed by a stroke or two but still played great. You know what? You know, great. You know, Brian Harmon could be your 2019 U.S. Open champion. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the thing is, is that when you hear them complain, when guys that live such a comfortable life, when you hear them, you know, piss and moan about something like this, about course setup, and 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 again, it's not something that only affects the person complaining. All 156 people in the field are affected by it. So Yeah, everyone's just, playing the same course. Yeah, that's it. It's just showing how mentally weak you are. You know, if it bothers you, keep it locked up. Don't let your competitors see that you are, you know, worried about it. That it's something that might be getting to you. Put on that game face. And these guys just don't do it because they're so coddled. It's the one thing every year that just completely turns me off. And even if the USGA gets it right this week and Pebble looks like it's playing firm and fast, which is going to be awesome. It's going to be so different than the AT&T plays there. But if they don't quote unquote get it right and you can't please everybody, we know that, um, it's going to be the same thing next year. If they do get it right, it's going to be the same thing next year. Oh, well, you know, they got it right last year, but look at history. Well, there, there is a one X factor this year. Which is? Mr. Jason Gore. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the, fact, the fact that they have brought someone into the fold who is a player, if they're going to listen to him and he's going to give that player's point of view, uh, they might have achieved what they were trying to achieve by bringing him in. A few people uh, actually over the course of the last few days, over the course of the weekend, have asked me, texted me, messaged me, and said, hey, you're going to try to get Jason back on after the U.S. Open. And and it's something I'm definitely uh, working on. And, and obviously, you know, the USGA is just all systems go on the U.S. Open train right now. So there's, uh, unless you're there, there's no correspondence with them. And and we've had very good correspondence up until this week. And it's just all hands on deck to get this championship done. But Yeah, he's, pro- he's probably got some stuff going on. Uh, you would assume, you know, from, from sunup to sundown. The one question I do want to ask him is, like, what is your day-to-day during non-U.S. Open tournament week? And then how does that change during during the Open week? Because... You know, he's traveling around with, like, five other people that are underneath him. So are you just going out and, like, mingling with players? And I just – I hope he stays true to who he is and doesn't become another enabler to the players. Like, oh, guys, I know we messed up in the past, but we're trying – no, 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 look. This is how we run our championship. You either come to our championship or you don't come to our championship. As simple as that. Because we don't need you, because you know what? Regardless, we're going to find a great championship, a great champion, excuse me, and we're going to go to great championship 
um, venues. Scott, let, I want to I want to read you off um, some Pebble U.S. Open facts and go over some of the winners that have come out of Pebble Beach, and then I think we should make our picks as to who might come out of this year. Um, great, great plan. Okay, so Pebble's a hundred years old this year. That's why they moved it out of its because it's normally every ten like years. On like a, they had moved it to a ten-year rotation, correct? And now they're they moved it away to get it into its hundredth anniversary. Right. So that I mean that's pretty cool. Nineteen nineteen. You know, um, uh, I I think that's incredible. Yeah. Now, as far as U.S. Opens goes, and I didn't know this until I researched it, but. Jack Nicklaus's first tour win was the 1962 U.S. Open, which was at Oakmont. Uh, I did know that because I read a book. It was called Arnie and Jack. It was about their relationship. Okay, and and that was a very big um, that was a big chapter in the book because obviously Oakmont, Arnie's backyard, without a doubt, and he you know he really wanted to win that tournament, really wanted to win the U.S. Open at Oakmont. And along came like this young, like you know, fat blonde hair kid. Fat blonde haired kid, and he takes it, and you know, robbed in Arnie's mind him of the U.S. Open in his backyard. Yeah, and that, and that was you know, because their relationship was adversarial at first. That was one of the reasons why. Right. Uh, quick Arnie fact. Um, Shoot. During my Midwest road trip, which is going to start on Friday, I'm going to be at Big mm-hmm. Cedar Lodge. We'll t- I'll talk about this a little bit at the end. Um, cool. But the driving range up there was constructed by Arnold Palmer, and they moved piece by piece his barn from Pittsburgh up to there, right outside of Branson, Missouri. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's there, and, and now it's... Uh, it's a pro shop and a, a uh, an eatery, so very much looking forward to that. So uh, Jack's last U.S. amateur win was at Pebble Beach. Jack also started at Pebble, logging his distances, and was one of the first ones ever to create yardage books. And that's what gave Jack, like the advent of of the Pro V One, gave. You know, some guys the ability to play better golf than others. This for like a year, year and a half, really set Jack apart from people back in the '70s. Was him having these yardage books with distances, and no one did that. And then, of course, everyone just started to kind of copy him. Um, here are the last um, U.S. Opens at Pebble with their winners and the score: seventy-two. All right, first U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, 1972. Jack wins at plus two. Yep. The 82 Open, this is Watson's famous chip-in over... Uh, chip-in on 17. Chip-in on 17. And 17th Green has been expanded this year. I don't even believe that shot can be recreated in the exact spot because of the expansion of the 17th Green, which it needed, Scott. That's a very yeah. odd angle to a rectangular thin green. I actually think it's been a couple years since that, um, because of like erosion and things like that, that they haven't been able to. Been he wouldn't have been able to recreate it. Gotcha. Um, I think actually though, uh, some years ago they gave him like ten shots to try. Yes, I remember like, that. I'm not. I'm not even gonna bother. Yeah, like, it's not gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> and Jack Jack always said if I could take that chip away from him and the and the one chip against, uh, or the one chip 
by Lee Trevino against him. He says, I would have easily mm-hmm. had 20 majors. Mm-hmm. So 82 open, Watson wins with that chip in um, at six under par. The 92 open, notice again, we're going in two year, uh, 10 year increment, excuse me. Tom Kite wins at three under par. So nothing, nothing exorbitant as far as low scores there. Now, in 2000, we move Pebble Beach to the turn of the millennium in 2000, so it gets on an eight-year rotation there, and that's because it was the year 2000, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. And Tiger, this is Tiger's triumphant 15-shot victory where he does not make a bogey and shoots 12 under par. Uh, I think he was the only one who was under par that week. That is, that is correct. I believe and Ernie Els was... I think he won was, by 15 strokes in total. Right. Ernie Els, I believe, yeah. was at plus three, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have that written down. I'm going off of memory, and that's 19 years ago. 2010, Graham McDowell wins at even par. Okay, that was, remember, DJ blowing up. Uh, I was going to say, that was the, the DJ blowing up. In the final round year. Yep, yep. Um, and then now we moved it away from the 10-year rotation again because it's 2019 and Pebble is 100 years old. Um, give me – can can you think of one Pebble Beach memory? I know you've never played. I've never played. I want to get into the pricing and cost of that in a second. But mm-hmm. can you give me one indelible memory that's kind of left in your mind – of Pebble Beach. It doesn't have to be the U.S. Open play there. It could be the Pro-Am or something like that. It could be a shot or just just something that sticks into your mind. Um, I actually remember the the 2010 Open. Once it kind of became apparent that G-Mac was going to win, um, I remember him walking that, you know, they had obviously a camera on him walking from 17 to 18. And I just remember he kind of had like a confidence about him, like, all right, well, I'm going to win this major championship. And part of me is like, he did a really good job putting on that face because he wasn't really a a guy you would think about as a major champion up until that point. Right, right. So so I I remember thinking like, wow, that's a really good job controlling your nerves in this particular situation because he had to be, you know, a, a bundle of nerves at that point. My memory is Jack's last U.S. Open at Pebble. I, that was another one I was gonna. I was thinking about where him. He was playing with Tiger. Yep. And and I just remember him sitting on a fence because they were waiting. They had to wait because there was a group on the green. There was a group in the fairway waiting for the group on the green to move. They couldn't tee off, and he just took a moment. And it, it, it I believe it was organic. It wasn't planned. He just went off to the side, sat on the side of the fence there on 18, looked over Carmel Bay, and I just remember him sitting there, and I just thought to myself, like, imagine what has been seen through that man's eyes over the course of 20, 30 years playing professional golf. You know, oh, and yeah. you, you, totally. want, you wonder if, if at that moment, Maybe it all just kind of sunk in. Like this is it. It's the last walk up eighteen in competition at at. I mean, look, a lot a lot of people would say Jack's home. You know, I know Muirfield mm. is really it, but he's so he's left such an indelible mark at Pebble and at the U.S. Open, and just just seeing him there, soaking it all in, 
is is one of those golf memories that's just burned in my mind. Right. Well, and then yeah, you know, a month later at St Andrews, going across the bridge, you know, the Spoken Bridge. You, um, you know what? You, I, you know what's funny, Scott, is that I cannot remember. I know what happened, but mm-hmm. I can remember clear as day, Arnie walking over the bridge for the last time, and the the tear kind of forming up in his eye. You know what I mean? And and right. him, Arnold being who he was. Did not want to pose for pictures, really, and he just kind of wanted to walk away. And everyone's like, "No, stay, stay, stay." And he was just like, "No, it's 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 my terms. Like, I'm gonna give you a little bit, take your pictures, but I'm not staying up here for like three, four minutes, you know?" Because he was so past his playing days at that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where you know Jack but, was still able to knock it around a little bit. I, part of me still feels like if Jack decided to play at Augusta, he would probably be able to at least throw a round or two together that were pretty decent. Oh, I just I, cor- just course knowledge wise. Yeah, it's just the putting that would get him, you know. Ah, well, the fact that he's going to be out driven by 40, 50 yards on every hole. Yeah, you let him move up a little bit. Hey, mm-hmm. uh he can play from the members tees. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk lately about Pebble Beach being overrated and underrated. And over at Swing Juice, where you know I write blogs for, um, I interviewed Jimmy James, who we're going to have on this summer on the on the pod, and he is famous, if you will, for completing all 100 of Golf Digest's top 100 courses within a calendar year, and had mm-hmm. not been done before. And it's difficult because the the list changes and stuff like that. But it was it was the 2008 no 2017 calendar year. So he told me that Pebble is by far the most overrated course in the top 100. What are your thoughts? Um, so, two things. One, I do think it gets a little overrated because of the geography of it. You know, because it, it just it looks so cool because it's right next to the ocean and all that. Um, having said that, having never played it, I, I want to not make a judgment on it. I think it's a very I, I, that's I a smart I, call. I know I know it's a cop out, but I, I don't really feel like it's my place to decide whether or not a course that I've never set foot on is overrated. Yeah, it 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 took me by surprise a bit when he said that. Um, I'm not sure the basis of it. I, I think a lot of people when they look at the price, which is now six hundred dollars, and you must be staying at mm-hmm. the links at Spanish Bay or the lodges over at Pebble. Um, I think when you take that all into consideration and realize that with lodging, it is going to cost you close to a grand to play Pebble. Um, I think that is why people think it's overrated because they say, wait a minute, the whole entire course doesn't play along the Pacific? Well, no. If you knew Pebble, you know that it doesn't. And it winds its way, you know, through the windswept trees. And honestly, there are some phenomenal holes on the interior that... Are better than some of the seaward holes. Yeah, I wouldn't want the whole thing to play on the ocean. Like I, I want a little variety, too. right? Because I think the build-up to those ocean holes that you know are coming up, you know, like five, six, seven, eight, like you know they're coming, and 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 that great reveal happens. Right, and then they go away for a little bit, and then they come back at the end. Right, in like this grandiose ah. uh, explosion of like. Golf pornography, honestly, on eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so true. Um, so yeah, it's t- it's tough to say, but when I think about that, Scott, and I think about a thousand dollars to play Pebble, and people ask me all the time, like guys at work are like, Pebble's private, right? I'm like, no, dude, it's it's public. Like to you, though, honestly, it might as well be private. Oh yeah, I because mean, the amount you're gonna I, fork out. My my club membership it was you know twenty three hundred dollars a year. Half of that would go towards playing Pebble. Yeah, you I know, just because it's a thousand dollars for the room, the round. Uh, you, you're gonna go out with a caddy. You gotta tip the caddy. So I think my, you're probably looking at at closer to fifteen by the time you're all said and done. My buddy played it with his oldest daughter, who played college golf. Uh, not not a great college golfer, uh, you know, high 80s or so. And he played from the one back from the men's tees, so like their quote-unquote championship, obviously not the U.S. Open tees, but their championship tees. She played from the women's tees. He had a blast. He ended up shooting like 92. He's a good player. Made a birdie. Mm. And, uh, you know, she played okay, shot like 101 or whatever. And I said, you know, was it worth it? And he said, when you take the money out of it and you just think about the experience, because you can always make more money, but you can't right. ever get the experience back. He said it was worth it. He said, but when I came home and saw the prices for everything, he says, I second-guessed myself. Right. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. It's like if, if somebody gave me 1500 bucks. And they're like, well, what are you going to do with this? Most likely I'd choose something golf-related. And that might be something that I would think about and just be like, yeah, I'm going to play Pebble. Yeah, see, I think if someone gave me 1500 to do something in golf with, I don't think it would be that. Because for us, for us East oh, Coast I mean, guys... I, could, it's, I it's could think of a million other things. Oh, right, do, right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, if you had yeah. 1500 bucks, you know, it's actually it's even more. It's two grand because you've got to factor in a flight out there as well. Uh, yeah, plus all the money you'd spend in the pro shop. Right, and food. So, And, and yeah. look, again, we're talking about for a day. Like, we're talking a night. Right. At, we're not talking a week there. I mean, I, no. I would go to a great resort and outfit myself with all new clubs and get completely custom fit and then go from there, you know? But mm. there are people where money is no issue, and it's like, eh, we're going to go play Pebble today. Yeah, my, my wife's old boss took her husband out for their like 30th anniversary or something like that. And, you know, and my wife was just like, wow, wow, that, you know, that, that seems like a nice trip. They went out to California. I was like, that's a really expensive trip. <laughs> like she dropped a lot of money for that. Cause they yeah. went out for three or four days. They played all the courses around there. And it's just like, mm, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a lot of coins she's dropping. Uh, yep. Scott, how are we doing time-wise? What do you got left? Uh, I got about 10 minutes. All right, cool. Um, so I want to talk about summer golf. Wait, were we going to make picks? Oh, yeah, we got to make picks. All right, give me, give me two. God, I'm going to give you two. My picks Perfect. are so boring. Uh, mine are, too. I'm going to give you who I – I'm going to uh, – okay, I'm, go ahead. Well, g- give me your boring pick. Brooks Kepka. Okay, mine's uh, Tiger. I want to see three in a row. I think that would be awesome. Uh, Mine's Tiger. Uh, Again, it it feels very chalky, but, you know, it it is what it is. Um, So, fair enough. 
I, I think three in a row would be awesome too. Who's your Who's your slightly less than stellar pick? Slightly so less than stellar. I think you know who it is because I pick him all the time and I always regret it. Uh, and he's playing in the same group as Mr. Tiger Woods. Uh, I'm going to go Jordan Spieth. That's who I'm picking too. I I feel like the course suits his game. And at some point, he's breaking out of the slump. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think it's a slump anymore. I nah, think it's just... I just think he I just think he's got to find himself in the right situation, and I think this might be it. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, you know what, Scott? I, I wanted to... Uh, I, I want to talk about some of these feature groups first, if you don't mind. Sure. All right, Tiger, Justin Rose, and Jordan Spieth are playing together Thursday... They go off. This is all Eastern time, obviously. They go off at five oh nine. Correct. How sick is that? Yeah, prime time. Tiger, Jordan Spieth, Justin Rose. You know, if you're telling me you pick a group that the champion's going to come out of, I'll take that one. Yeah, this one's very interesting to me. Brooks Kepka, Frankie Molinari, and then Victor Hovland, who just turned pro. Um, no, Victor. They have Victor Hovland listed he, as he an still, amateur. Looks like he's still. Looks like he's still playing. As, well, he uh, he probably can't play unless he plays as an am. So he's probably turning pro after this tournament. That's right, because he won the U.S. Am at Pebble last year. That's why. That's what. It and is. he'll turn pro after so, Matt Wolf already turned pro. Right. So and yeah, so that's the traditional. You know, last British Open or yes. Open champion, yep. last U.S. and last U.S. Am champion. Yes, correct, correct. Um, interesting group that I am pretty psyched for: J.T. Kisner and the Mad Scientist DeChambeau. Uh, yeah, that's a good group too. And then that's- a group with a ton of firepower: uh, John Rahm, Mark Leishman, and Rory McIlroy. Hmm. Um, I'll give you one other one that I think could be like a really sneaky, like, wow, these guys can really hit the ball. Uh, I'm going to go the Hideki, Sergio, Tommy Fleetwood group. That could turn very bad for Fleetwood being with those two. Uh, well, yeah, but he, both he and Hideki are really good iron players. And this is a course that being a good iron player is going to be uh, very important. It's very true. So as long as Hideki and Sergio don't destroy greens um, or go crazy hitting you know, shots off flag sticks, then uh, that could be a really good group. Here is the group that is going to end Bubba Watson's career. Are you ready? Bubba has to play pebble with Hao Tong Lee and J.B. Holmes. Okie dokie. Bubba Watson uh, oh, they, is one of the fastest out, players. They're going out really early in the morning, so everyone's going to be backed up. Yeah. Uh, J.B. Holmes, <laughs> it, it, Bubba's going to end up killing himself because of J.B. Holmes. Yeah, they should have put them out. They should just be the, the 242 tee time, which is the last one. I, I just, think they should let, just Let make, them go out and play really slow. Just let J.B. Holmes play by himself. <laughs> Yeah, they, it's yeah. it's either like you send JB Holmes out an hour before everyone, or you send him off dead last. Yeah, he doesn't need a marker. Don't worry about you know getting Jeff Knox. Just 
go out there and do your thing, JB. Uh, last <laughs> last uh, cool group I'm actually going to give you. This is actually a really cool group. Tony Finau, Jimmy Walker, and then my boy Ian Poulter. Yeah, I was looking at that one too. That's a that's a that's a neat little group there. Yeah, that's a bunch of guys that are a lot of fun. Right, for sure. Um, all right, so we got that. We got our picks, and we're good to go with everyone there. So, um, real quick, Scott, I want to talk about my upcoming trip that I'm taking, um, which is actually Scotto sponsored by Cutter and Buck. You know Cutter and Buck from their phenomenal pro shop wear and obviously mm-hmm. the world's greatest women golfer, Annika Sorenstam. So they are sponsoring my son and I on our Midwest golfing road trip. Friday we're going to be in Ohio. I think we're going to play Sleepy Hollow or Boulder Creek. Then we're heading up to Chicago. If uh, timing works out, we're going to either one of the other play Cog Hill or, mm-hmm. or just go sightseeing in the city. Because the next morning we're driving down just outside Branson, Missouri to Big Cedar Lodge. We've got tea times on Father's Day at Top of the Rock, playing Mountaintop, playing Ozark National, and then Buffalo Ridge Springs, I believe the name of it is, or Buffalo Springs, something along those lines there. Then we're heading up to St. Louis to catch the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, we're fans of them, versus the Florida Marlins homestand. And then we're heading down to Chattanooga to see the Chattanooga Lookouts play the Birmingham Barons, a la Michael Jordan wearing the 4-5. I was going to say, is Jordan playing? And then, uh, <laughs> and then we're heading down to meet uh, my wife and my youngest son at our place in North Carolina, where I will play most of my golf at Sandpiper Bay Country Club. My boys have memberships there, as well as the course that we live on at Sea Trail. So, Scotto, I ask you, where will you be playing this summer? Uh, well, uh, my plan is to uh, kind of work my way around the Hudson Valley region here in New York. Um, so I'm going to try and play a bunch of different courses that I haven't played before because I've always had a membership, but I've always just played that course. Right. And this year I don't. So now I'm going to work my way around and try and find some new interesting places to play. Um, cool. I'm also uh, playing a round of simulator golf on a cruise ship, so that'll be interesting. Okay. Uh, if you get a hole-in-one in simulator golf, does it count? Uh, well, I don't think so. Because no. I've gotten holes-in-one in, like, Tiger Woods golf on PlayStation, and that certainly doesn't count. No, but you're not swinging a club. This is at least close. Hmm. But I, I agree, it doesn't. I'm, I'm going to say no. I'll congratulate you, but, uh, but it doesn't. Um, we got time to thank the sponsors and everyone, Scott, or you want me to let you go and finish up doing that? No, go ahead and do it. Okay. Um, so obviously everyone knows that they can follow us on Twitter, at leave underscore the underscore pin, or follow us on Instagram at leave the pin. Uh, you had a interesting Instagram story yesterday about one of the courses you played. Uh, enough time to get into that or not today? Maybe next week. Let's do that next week. Okay. Um, because I, I, that's going to take some time. Okay. And, and next week I think our theme is going to be worst of. Um, I want to talk mm. about the worst golf shots you've ever hit. One of our podcast patrons 
uh, Jeremy uh, of Arrows and Irons on Instagram, because he's a hunter as well, very clever name, Arrows and Irons. Very clever. Talked about a shot. Um, Dan from Train on Main has a shot I want to talk about getting on the track man with my boy Bryce Williams over at TaylorMade. And uh, just a few things like that. So we'll talk about worst of next week. So you can obviously email us at leavethepinin at gmail.com and call us at 843-608-0013. We want to thank Train on Main. You can find them on Instagram or at train-on-main.com. And, of course, I want to thank Swing Juice. Find them at swingjuice.com or on Instagram. Uh, John's going to be sending me a bunch of shirts to wear out for our trip. So between Swing Juice and Cutter and Buck, Scott, I'm going to be looking pretty stylish out there. I may have to uh, leave some of the Ralph Lauren in the closet. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fresh for sure. So. For sure. Now the uh, the whole process with Cutter and Buck are they just going to send you stuff, or is there like a, was there like a scripting sort of survey kind of thing? Like I look good in this color, not this color, whatever. So they asked. Oh, they for, they, they asked. You a box. Yeah. So they they uh you know very very cool. Uh, the guy Joe through there was awesome. Uh, been DMing and, and emailing regularly, and so basically said, look, I'm putting together some scripting for you. I'm putting together your package, your box. Um, let me know sizes and let me know fit. So obviously, you know the way that I like mm. to wear clothes is is a very European style cut, very slim fit. And they do make a slim fit line. Now, Cutter and Buck is more yeah. of that country club line. So you're not going to like find them in stores, but mm. you're going to find them at Pinehurst. You're going to find them at yeah. Kiowa. You're going to find them at Pine Valley, you know? Um, yeah, I've seen like an, like an athletic fit. Yeah, like, yeah, which... Yeah, I think they call it... Right, and for my frame, even the athletic fit, it's just, it's, you know, I like things very form-fitting. So they make, right. a, they make a slim fit. So I mentioned to him that, you know, my son and I are kind of built the same way. I mean, my son's 12 and almost my height. So we basically fit into the same size clothes with the same shoe size now, which is nuts. But um, he said, yep. He said, no problem. He goes, I know you're leaving soon for the trip. He said, so I'm getting everything together over the weekend. I'm going to send it out and you'll be all good to go for your trip. So, you know, he and he and what's awesome, Scott, is he wasn't even like, hey, man, I need five Instagram stories and three posts with these hashtags. Nothing at all. So you know right. what? He's going to get triple that now because of that. Yeah. I mean, you're going to do it anyway, so awesome. Yeah. And it wasn't one of those things where like, okay, well, here are the parameters, and you need to do this, this, that, and the other in order for this to happen. You know, it was uh, – Right. It was it was just very cool and laid back. So you better believe we will give them as much press as possible because they seem like an awesome company. The the further I delve into it, mm. cool. And that's that, brother. Right. So you and I are going right. to talk. Uh, probably not Father's Day night. That's Sunday, the U.S. Open, because I will be playing Top of the Rock mm. uh, at sunset and probably watch some U.S. Open on tape delay after that. Mm. Um, but that Monday, maybe that, that Monday, let's try to record. All right, cool. I got, I got a 10 a.m. tea time and then I'm going to rent a boat and go fishing on, uh, Table Rock Lake. Cool. And we'll see what's up by then, right? Yep, exactly. All right. Good deal. All right. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying.